Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, what is up with presidents and classified documents and why saying one is worse than the other is a zero-sum game? Andrew Tate is still detained in Romania, yet another example of why influencers should find something else to do. Another sad sack is George Santos, Republican congressman from Long Island, at least for now. New reports say high-level Republicans knew about his tissue of lies. The West is sending provocative weapons to Ukraine in anticipation of a new Russian offensive. Meanwhile, the Russians keep bombing. So let's start. First, it was Donald Trump. Now, it's Joe Biden. Last week started with the revelation that the current president's lawyers had found sensitive classified documents from the time he was vice president. Then his lawyer turned, or his lawyers, that is, turned over a second tranche of documents. Topping this off, Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to look into the matter. Biden and his allies have been quick to point out the differences between his situation and Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago fiasco. This should be expected. After all, this is politics. Congressional Republicans are up in arms, saying the special counsel's probe will interfere with their own. Gee, wonder why they'd say that, since the special counsel, Robert K. Herr, is a lifelong Republican and former appointee of none other than Donald Trump. No matter the differences between the pair of investigations and the fact that Biden's lawyers turned over the documents while the feds had to raid Trump's home to get his documents, there's a serious political downside to this for Biden. It reinforces the view that he's a gaff-prone bumbler, unable to get out of his own way. Combine this with investigations the House Republicans have already begun to ramp up, and it spells serious trouble should the president decide to run for re-election. And yet, there's also danger in constantly comparing Trump's and Biden's handling of classified documents. Far better, I think, for Biden's people to issue a mea culpa and say both sides' handling of classified documents leaves a lot to be desired. They can then bundle all the GOP fishing expeditions as partisan political hackery and say they're being transparent while the other side is not. Biden has, after all, expressed surprise that the documents were even in his possession, though one set was found in a think tank. Of course, Trump has used the discovery of classified documents to cry selective persecution in his case. This may well have breathed new life into his listless presidential campaign. At least he'll be able to raise more money from it and Trump is never far from trying to make more money. Speaking of money and the former guy, his organization now has to pony up $1.6 million after being convicted in a tax fraud case. This, of course, is chicken feed to a company like Trump's, but it's the maximum allowed under New York state law. Plus, it's embarrassing, for goodness sake, even though Trump will try and disasso uh, disassociate himself personally from the company that bears his name. Still given all the investigations that are ongoing and active, it does present at least an annoyance to Trump and his business empire. Up next, Andrew Tate is still languishing in a Romanian jail. 
Is this the price of his excesses? And will charges there bring him down? This is the intersection. Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. Can anybody, anybody, tell me the point of Andrew Tate? Until recently, I had no idea who he was or is. I know he's been called an influencer, which is one reason I believe influencer are largely as useless as a third nostril. I know he's been called, among other things, a misogynist, a narcissist, and even worse. I also know he's been detained in Romania, his cars and properties seized on charges of sex trafficking and at least one rape. His brother has also been detained, along with two Romanian women. He apparently enthralls young men by teaching them they need to be as big a pig toward women as he apparently is. He recently got his feelings hurt by none other than Greta Thunberg. I think we may have talked about that before. Just like fellow travelers Alex Jones, Donald Trump, and others, Tate makes big money trading on people's insecurities. What I'm at a loss to figure is how regular folk can break the psychological backs of these people. A frontal assault on influencers might be satisfying, but I'm not absolutely certain that it will get the job done. Now, I've talked about influencers and my problems with them before. None of them seem to be as egregious as Andrew Tate, but he may be the logical conclusion of the culture that created influencers. Here's the thing. I think most people of a certain age did have influencers in their lives. That means, of course, people who had an impact, people who may have taught them right from wrong, people who may have been able to steer them in a proper direction when they were going astray. People who, for example, in my case, made sure I was punctual to everything. And even to this day, in my old age, I get paranoid about being late to anything. Now, those folks were influencers. And they didn't take any money for it. They didn't take a dime for it. For the most part, they were just people who shared their knowledge, their expertise, and I have to say, people who shared their lives to an extent with younger people, not to tell them to be bullies, not to tell them to sexually exploit women, but precisely the opposite. That's what influencers were in my time, but we didn't call them influencers. They were just people who looked out for us. People who we considered our friends, our mentors, the people who had the biggest impact and did not seek any financial reward for putting their influences on us. And yet now we've developed a generation and it's not just men, it's not just male influencers, there are women who make good money. And look, I don't, you know, preclude anyone from making a living. Don't have a problem with it. And maybe some younger people might say, well, hey, you're an old man. You can't be 
an influencer. You can't make any money from being an influencer like Andrew Tate. But then I look on television and I see all of his expensive cars being towed away from his house. I see him doing what is essentially what would be described in New York as a perp walk with Romanian police. There's something that needs to change, ladies and gentlemen, change. And again, there are women who are also influencers, women who I believe in many cases speak to younger women and tell them to be as materialistic and simple as they are. And they make money, whether it's selling products, whether it's selling nonsense, as is the case in Andrew Tate. But he does, I believe, prey on young men. Young women are also victims. And of course, that has to do with looking a certain way, dressing a certain way, acting a certain way. And I have to come back to how did we come to this? I'm at a loss. I once thought, when I first started hearing about them, that influencers were a joke. Now we have people who are described as purveyors of toxic masculinity. I'm still coming to grips with exactly what that is. I do know this. If Andrew Tate is found guilty of the kind of sexual violence he's accused of in Romania, all the bravado and kickboxing championships in the world won't help him. This is what Romania's organized crime agency said about his operation in their country. And keep in mind, Andrew Tate's been living in Romania since 2017. Quote, victims were lured under the pretense of a romantic relationship, then later through physical violence and mental intimidation, forced to perform pornographic acts for social media sites, which generated large financial gains, unquote. And keep in mind that influencers often don't do anything without trying to make large financial gains. Some influencer. Can we agree, no matter what else happens, we ought to try and see to it that there are no more Andrew Tates? Speaking of people we can do without, let's talk for a minute about George Santos. For those of you who don't know, he was elected to the House of Representatives from a district on Long Island in New York. Turns out he fabricated, and I mean fabricated, large parts of his resume, including where he worked and went to school. He's publicly admitted some of this, in fact, a lot of this, yet he will not resign. Many, if not most, of his Republican colleagues have his back, with the notable exception of officials in his own home county. That's Nassau County, New York. There, Republicans are calling on him to resign. Why won't the national GOP leadership? Huh. I think maybe we can all figure that one out. It has something to do with the tenuous majority they have in the House. Santos was a backer of Congressman Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker, and now McCarthy is returning the favor. Santos is the subject of several investigations, including fraud charges in Brazil. The situation would be comical if it weren't for the fact that McCarthy, as Speaker of the House, is responsible for leading one part 
one branch of government. He has calculated that if Santos is ousted, there's no guarantee his district would elect another Republican and that would tilt the balance of the House toward the Democrats. You know, once bitten, twice shy. On the other hand, Long Island Republicans are worried about the long-term impact of backing a charlatan and his presence in the Congress. One thing is for certain, the National Republicans' backing of George Santos shows just how utterly bankrupt they are. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates are bad enough, and now this. I predict Congress won't be able to stand behind Santos for much longer. The damage is already too great. They're just too concerned with their own skins to pay attention. After all, look how long it took McCarthy to win the speakership. Up next, the West is moving to ship new heavy weaponry to Ukrainian military forces. This is a major shift for nations that previously didn't want to provoke Vladimir Putin. We'll explain why. This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. The West has decided to up the ante in the Ukrainian fight against Russia. Put simply, they fear the possibility of a spring offensive by Vladimir Putin's military. One by one, Western nations are agreeing to send weapons to Ukraine that they'd been hesitant to send before. They're mainly sophisticated tanks, but they also include Patriot air defense systems that are being sent by the USA. Previously, Western nations were wary of arming Ukraine with these weapons for fear of provoking Russia. It now appears that even those countries most hesitant, like Germany, are rethinking their belief that supplying such hardware would be seen as a provocation not just by the individual nations, but by NATO. The Germans have been the most hesitant throughout the conflict. There are signs now that even they are thinking about changing their minds. Here's the problem. Despite reports going back before Christmas of Ukraine's military victories, the war itself has been a grinding stalemate. The Russians have begun bombing cities in the east, which was their end game in the first place. Keep that in mind. They may not really care one way or the other about Kiev and some of these other places, but the eastern provinces, the ones that are closest to them, those are the ones that they have deemed important. And they've been bombing those cities in the east with civilian loss of life. Western military experts say without more sophisticated tanks and other weapons, it is unlikely Ukraine can win back territory that Russia has occupied in the east. Which brings up another very real question. Right now, there are no peace talks ongoing or scheduled. There are numerous reports that Putin is conscripting huge numbers of Russians for a spring offensive. That makes Ukrainian progress on the ground now that much more imperative. If reports are to be believed, it will be up to the U.S. and Germany to agree to free up the tanks needed to at least afford Ukraine some victories in the East. Whether any of this ends up happening, whether Ukraine can turn the tide 
against yet another Russian onslaught remains to be seen. Now, that's not to negate Ukrainian victories. That's not to negate the fact that the Ukrainians have fought and fought and fought with a great deal of distinction. But the fact of the matter is they were up against it when dealing with the Russians. I know that there's a propaganda war out there and Putin's people and Putin's media are putting out one narrative and the Ukrainians and the West are putting out a different narrative. It's time, I think, that the West gets serious, if they are serious, about helping Ukraine survive and eventually bringing Russia to the table. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.